Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. Appreciate you coming out today. Uh, we're seeing Jesus in this sermon series. I've got our theme verse here. It's on your notes. It'll be on the screen. I've been reading this out loud every week. You're going to read it with me this week. So here we go. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. And this week we're seeing Jesus as the miracle worker. And on the surface of this one, everyone's excited. Jesus is a miracle worker. He does great things. He's powerful. He's wonderful. But there's also a little tension with this one. Because all of us have believed Jesus for a miracle that didn't happen. In fact, some of us have even gotten a little discouraged. We're not even sure that Jesus does miracles anymore. I mean, walking on water, calming the sea, healing the sick, raising the dead, those make for great Sunday school lessons, but I don't see that going on in my life. You know, maybe he did it for other people, maybe there's something wrong with me. There's just a tension here between seeing Jesus as the miracle worker and what we're experiencing in our own life. And I want to help you out with that today. We're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus ever did. It's in John chapter 2, and it's a miracle at a wedding. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And the fact that the setting of this miracle takes place at a wedding, I think, is in itself important. Because uh, weddings have unique characteristics. First, weddings have gargantuanly high expectations. I mean, this is the bride's dream day. It's the groom's last day of freedom. They both have been thinking about this their entire life. And so has the bride's mother. And as someone who's done dozens and dozens of weddings over the years, you feel the weight of the wedding day. Uh, the expectation levels are extremely high. And yet, things often go wrong at weddings. Just watch Funniest Home Videos. Okay? So I find it interesting that the first miracle happened in a setting of extremely high expectations. Because most of the time when we need a miracle in our lives, it's because of our high expectations. We thought life was going to be up here, but life came in down here, and we need a miracle to bridge that gap. I, I didn't know they were going to die so young. I didn't know that accident was going to happen. I didn't know I was going to lose my job. I thought marriage was going to be different than this. My job, I hate my job. I can't believe tomorrow's Monday already. And we have these high expectations of life, but instead we find ourselves living down here. In fact, in this wedding story, we find a disappointment. It says, they have no more wine. Now that may not seem like a major social faux pas to you, but in the Jewish culture, this was huge for two reasons. One is, they didn't put the emphasis on the wedding ceremony that we do. You know, in our weddings, the pressure's on the ceremony. It's on the flowers, the candles, the dress, the dresses, the tuxes, the bridesmaids, bri uh, groomsmen, the 
the pastor. I mean, the pressure's on everything. Everybody's got to get everything just right in the ceremony. But their ceremonies weren't, they weren't like that. They, they were very simple, very short. The reception was huge. They would feast for seven days to celebrate a wedding. And so the success of the wedding hinged on the party, not on the ceremony itself. So at this wedding in Cana, the, the, the star attraction of the wedding, the wine, is gone. This is bad news. Second reason this was a major faux pas is the Jews had a saying, where there is no wine, there is no joy. So no wine was more than just a lack of a beverage. And no wine was a symbol that the joy had gone out of the event. I mean, they have this high level of expectation and the joy is gone. Well, that happens to us, not just at weddings, but in much of life, in my job, my finances, my kids, my health. This is not what I had planned for my life. Life is out of control and I don't even know what I did wrong. When the joy has gone out of your life, what do you do? You know, I want us to focus for just a minute on verse 3 in this passage, because they do three things here that we often do that will head us in the wrong direction. So the first is, we focus on feelings instead of faith. Verse 3 says, when the wine was gone, and, and the wine gets all the attention in this story. We focus on the natural problem instead of the spiritual solution. So we have this couple getting married, and it's a great day, but everyone's focused on something superficial, something material. Something natural, something material happens in your life. You find yourself in a difficult situation, and it feels like your whole world is falling apart. But if you can step out of those feelings for a moment, if you can see beyond the present circumstances, if you can see with eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear, you begin to see the spiritual reality that God is at work in in your life. You can see Jesus as the miracle worker. It's so easy to get our eyes focused on the problem. We, we forget that as believers in Jesus Christ, we live by faith, not by sight. We don't live in just this natural realm with these natural problems. We live in a different realm. We live in a spiritual realm with a powerful God and a miracle working Savior. But you're not going to see that if you focus on the feelings. It, it takes faith. Second thing we do is we take matters into our own hands. Uh, when our expectations are dashed, when God doesn't act the way I want him to act, at the speed I want him to act with, then I just do it myself. And the trouble is, it doesn't work. The Bible says, Jesus' mother said to him, and that, that phrase is funny to me because it's not her wedding. It's not her problem. You know, she's a guest, but she thinks she better do something about it. I mean, how many times do we do this? We think we need to take uh, the problem from God. We need to do something about it ourselves. When really it can't be our problem and God's problem at the same time. But we step into the Mr. Fix-It mode and we try to take care of it ourselves. I've got a great passage for you today out of Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm really hoping that this passage will, will just connect with your heart today. It says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. 
in repentance. That means changing your mind, changing the direction of your life. There is no way I can have God's best in my life if I'm going my own way. I've got to bring my life in line with God's way, and that takes repentance. In repentance and in rest. In other words, stop. Just stop. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to do it through yourself. Stop leaving God out of the process. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, nope, I'm not going to do it through repentance and rest. I'm going to do it my way. You said, no, we will flee on horses. And horses in Scripture are a symbol for human strength, natural strength, instead of God's strength. No, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. The faster you go, the faster you're chased the faster your pursuers will be. In other words, it's not going to work. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. And that's poetic language, for you're going to be alone, you're going to be isolated, you're going to be vulnerable. And too many of us have gotten so far away from God in our thinking and in our behavior that we have found ourselves alone, isolated, and vulnerable. And it's time for us to repent and rest in God. You keep reading. Look, he says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. God sees you run enough trying to do it on your own. He doesn't say, oh, look at that. There they go, those rebellious, stupid people. No, he's like, oh, please, just, if they would just start to turn toward me, I would be there for them. He longs to show compassion to you. He rises to, you know what gets God up off of his seat? What gets God up off of his throne? You repent and, and turn to him, and he rises to meet you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. So when you find yourself with your hopes dashed and your expectations unmet, you are hurting and in need of a miracle. Repent and rest in the Lord. Stop trying to do it yourself. Third thing we do is we exaggerate the negative. We, we explain to God how bad the problem is. We blow the problem up out of proportion. Now, there's nothing wrong with telling God your problems, but that shouldn't be the majority of your prayer time. The Bible says, cast your cares on Him. And cast means you offload your cares onto God, not wallow around in them. And some of us get in there and we complain and lament before the Lord, but at some point, you have to stop telling God about your problems, and you've got to start telling your problems about your God. If you focus on your problems, they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. You focus on God, your problems start to shrink and shrink. Don't look at the size of your problem. Look at the size of your God. In this story, they have no more wine. The joy is gone. And you may be in a difficult season in your life where the joy is gone. And that's, I want to remind you, we are people of faith. 
Yes, we face difficulties. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we feel pain. But we are people of faith. We believe that God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And that means that from time to time, it's going to look like the answer is no. It's going to look like God said, no, I'm not going to do that for you. You know, you're out of luck, too bad, didn't work. And it will appear on the external that God is not working at all. But all of God's promises are yes in Christ. All of them are true, all of them work. Then why don't I experience that in my life? Because we don't understand. Our God is so much bigger than us. We don't get it a lot of the time. That's why it takes faith to serve him. That's why we call ourselves people of faith. You you, you wouldn't need faith if everything were obvious. Isaiah 57. Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. You know, once in a while, things happen, and like, we don't, we don't get it. Sometimes I'll have somebody tell me, you know, I, I get to heaven, I got some questions I want to ask God. And I think when we stand before God in heaven, instead of us asking him, interrogating questions like, why did you do this, and why did you do that? I think when we get there, we're just going to stand there with our mouths open. And, you know, people think in heaven, we're going to hear, oh, Hallelujah. I don't think that's what we're going to hear. I think what we're going to hear is, <coughs> now I get it. Because our eyes are going to be open. And write me down on that. See if I'm right. <laughs> First John says that when we see him, we will see him as he is, and we're going to get it. First Corinthians tells us that we look through a glass darkly. We see things, but it's like looking through a dirty window into a dark room. And so we see some things, but we don't see everything. But one day, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. So what do you do in the meantime? How do you see Jesus as the miracle worker? I want you to do four things. First, you've got to do what Jesus tells you to do. Do what Jesus tells you to do. And Mary's the one who spotted this problem. She stepped up to address it. But instead of Mary giving orders like a problem solver, she just tells the servant, she says, look... Uh, He's getting ready to tell you to do something. And what he's going to tell you to do is probably going to be strange. Listen, I raised him. The boy's different. But whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Just do it. Now, why did Mary have to tell him that? Because God is famous for doing things that you don't understand, you don't agree with, you don't even get. Isaiah 55, this plan of mine is not what you would work out, neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than yours and my thoughts than yours. God is famous for doing things differently than we would do them. Because he knows more than we do. He understands more than we do. He sees more than we do. He's just all around bigger and smarter than we are. But too many people want to pass it all through here before it gets to here. You know, when it makes sense in here, 
Maybe then I'll take it to heart. Too many of us live life in this direction from the head to the heart when we need to be living from the heart to the head. We analyze everything. We theologize everything. I can't go there or do that until I, I, it makes sense to me. Well, then God can never be any bigger than your brain. We, we, we've got to come to a place where we just turn loose and trust our God. Because as long as you've got to have an answer to every question, you're not going to see the miracle. If you always have to understand God, you're never going to see the miracle worker. Because there's a point in this where, where you just recognize God is bigger than you. And honestly, I'm glad of that. I'm glad God knows more than me. Because if I could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be worth my worship. I and mean, if he can fit in this brain, he's not big enough. So if you've got to understand it before you obey it, you're not going to get your miracle. Because miracles happen when you do what Jesus tells you to do. Whether it makes sense or not. Second thing, you've got to focus on what God wants to do in you. In you. We always focus on the problem. But God isn't focused on the problem. The problem is nothing to God. Snap, it's gone. The problem is nothing to God. God is much more concerned about what's in you than what's happening to you. God sees something in a problem or a difficult situation, and he says, I can use that to build their character. I can use that to make them more like Jesus Christ. God will delay solving the problem because he's far more concerned about what's in you than what you're going through. God, God, God knows all the external stuff is just going to fade away. It's what's in you that's going to last. And so here we are going through whatever it is we're going through, sickness, money, marriage, job, whatever it is, if you will let him, God will do a deep, deep work in you. In you. Look how it plays out in our story here in verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now think about this with me. There are obviously empty wine bottles and wineskins and wine containers all around. I mean, they got all these empty wine containers there. So Jesus could have just gone, boop, and everybody's glass was full. He just could have refilled all those empty wine containers. That is not what he did. Instead, he found six stone jars that were used for ceremonial washing. These were big stone jars that were used for a religious purpose. They were used for people to wash themselves so they could be ceremonially clean and undefiled from the world. And they were very strict about this washing stuff, this washing ceremony. If you washed your hands and you let the water drip off your fingers, it didn't count. You had to do it over again because the water had to drip down your arms and off your elbows. And they were very serious and they would watch each other. And You need to do that one again, because you didn't do it right. And what it was, it was dead, stinking religion and ritual. And Jesus takes the symbol for this dead religion, and he puts joy into it. He didn't just fill the wine glasses, he filled the ceremonial washing pots. Jesus was doing what we call a twofer. You know what a twofer is? It's where you get two for one, okay? 
He's not only going to do a miracle to solve their problem, he's also teaching them something at the same time. He's shown them the real issue is not that they ran out of wine at a wedding. The real issue is is the joy had gone out of their faith. He's replacing their old dead religion with joy. Here's the point. If you're going through something difficult right now, but it seems like Jesus is not responding, it may be because you keep talking to him about the problem instead of listening to him about what's going on in you. In you. 1 Peter 1. Peter's talking to us here about this tension between joy and suffering. And Peter tells us that we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope, the the joy and hope that comes from a miracle-working God. But we also endure suffering here in this present world. So Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. In this we greatly rejoice in the joy and hope of the resurrection. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's the suffering part. That's the part we don't like. We're going to have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Nobody puts that verse on their refrigerator. Okay? These, these sufferings have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. What's in you is more important than what's happening to you. So these sufferings have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You gotta, if you want to see the miracle, you've got to focus on what God's doing in you, not on the temporary problems that you face. Third, see Jesus the miracle worker. You've got to believe the unbelievable. And I want to encourage you to be a people who trust God for big things. To really trust the Lord for things that are flat out unbelievable. Look at this. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. It was water that had been turned into wine. I mean, don't limit God to the size of your brain. Because God uses the foolish things uh, to confound the wisdom of the world. God does the impossible. Mark 10, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. If you want to see the miracle worker, you've got to believe the unbelievable. And finally, you've got to expect the best. You've got to expect the best. I want to pastor a group of people who are expecting God for the best things. I want us to be people who don't give up when problems hit. We don't give up. We step up. We're people of faith. We expect God to work. We expect God to work in our marriage, in our families, at our work, in our world. We serve a powerful God and a miracle-working Savior. And yes, you're going through a tough season right now. Yes, you've lost your joy, but don't give up. Expect the best from God. Expect the best from other people. 1 Corinthians tells us that love expects the best. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. I know that you have problems. I know that you are going through some suffering. How do I know that? Because Jesus said you would. 
So what do you do about it? You do what Jesus tells you to do. You focus on what God is doing in you, not on the problem. You believe the unbelievable, and you expect the best. And you will see Jesus, the miracle worker, do a miracle in your life. 20 years ago, I, I took 14 people out to the Purpose Driven Church Conference in uh, Orange County, California. And we came back ready to start a Purpose Driven Church in Belton and Raymore. And that first Sunday when we got back, we met at the shelter house in the Raymore Park, and we had 92 people show up for our first service. And Rockbrook Church was born. And 20 years later, here we are. And so the first weekend in June, we're going to celebrate our 20th birthday. And we're going to start on Friday night, June 2nd, with our dream team. We're going to celebrate with the dream team that night. If you're a dream teamer, you'll want to be here. And then in each of our weekend services, on Saturday and Sunday, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a special message and a, uh, just a special birthday service. We're going to have an ice cream truck out here between the buildings. We're going to give everybody free ice cream. You're going to get free coffee and free ice cream. <laughs> and between the caffeine and the sugar buzz, we're just going to take the stop sign out down here and just let them go. <laughs> just, just let them go. We're going to be doing baptisms out here uh, in between. We're going to be playing music. It'll be from the ice cream truck, but we'll be playing music out here. <laughs> but it's going to be a great weekend. And like most 20-year-olds, our birthday is not about the past. Our birthday is about the future, the future of Rockbrook. And you're going to want to be here for that weekend, for that service. And to celebrate our birthday, we're going to give someone else a present. And we're not going to keep the present ourselves. We're going to give it to someone else. And so starting this weekend until uh, the first weekend in June, we're going to take a special offering for the Gangri Church in Kathmandu, Nepal. And the, the folks at this church are some of the most wonderful people you could hope to meet. They are sweet, sincere believers with a heart for the lost peoples of Nepal. They're, they're preaching the word, making disciples. They are dead serious about reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And uh, the Gangri Church, they were leasing property in Kathmandu, but after the earthquake, property values skyrocketed, and their landlord realized he could make more money off the property than he was getting from this little church. And so he broke the lease. And the church decided that rather than go pay high rent for another building, they would just buy land and build a building. And so last, a year ago, March, I got to preach the last sermon in their old building, and this March, I got to preach in the new building. And uh, it, it was just really cool. But to build the new building, uh, they had to take out a mortgage of $35,000. And the bank was originally charging them 14%. Uh, on their mortgage, and when I was there in March, they had found out that the bank had raised it to 18%. And so they were having a meeting trying to figure out, because at that point, all their payment is just going for the interest. They're never going to be able to pay this thing off. So I was there, heard all this, and, and uh, on the way home, I'm thinking, Rockbrook ought to just pay off the mortgage for that church. We just ought to, thanks. We just ought to step up and... And so I started praying about it and uh, talked to their directors and talked to the staff. And we decided, you know, for our birthday, we're just going to take a special offering and we're going to uh, use it to, to do that for that church. So you can give. You can start giving this weekend. You can give online or however you give. Just designate it for the Nepal church. 
And we're not going to do any fundraising on this. Sometimes we'll talk about this stuff and people come up, oh, you know, you ought to do this. You ought to sell trash bags or you ought to have a garage sale. Or you to... No, 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 we don't do fundraising around here. We're not trying to get other people's money. Uh, we're just going to pray, ask God what he wants each one of us to give, and then we're just going to give it. God is a miracle-working God. God is a generous God. Folks, I'll tell you that he's already given us the money. The question is, are we going to do with it what he's telling us to do with it? And uh, this week, I shared uh, this with the staff, shared it with a few other people at Rockbrook. We've already got over $6,000 that's come in for this project. So God's already moving on this. And it, it's really been fun. As, as I've talked to people and we've just prayed about this, I've just told people, just pray and ask God what, what he wants you to give. If you're already given to Rockbrook, we take 10% off of everything that comes in, and that goes into our missions. And so you're already helping with this if you're just given. So this is an over-above gift, but I'm just encouraging people, just pray, ask God. And I've had some people come back and say, Kelly, I prayed, and, and God said, it's not your thing. And, you know, and I'm fine, then don't give anything to it. And I've had other people come back and say, you know, God told me I ought to give a little something to this. And I've had people come back and say, God told me I ought to give a lot to this. And so here it is. So I'm just excited to have you just pray and ask God what he would have you to give. And then we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. We're, going to we're not going to focus on the money. We're going to focus on what God wants to do in you. And we're going to believe God for the unbelievable and expect the best. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that Jesus is a miracle worker. And we all have expectations in life and Many of them have fallen short of what we've desired and wanted. And so we come today, and maybe the joy has gone out of our life, out of our marriage, out of our work, out of our finances. So God, we're people that need a miracle. And so today, today we come, and we just ask, what do you want us to do? And we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. And God, we want to focus on the work that you're doing in us, not on the problem. And we believe you for the unbelievable, and we expect the best. Because God, that's what you offer us. Thank you for Jesus, the miracle worker in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.